Please take your Bibles now and open to the book of Daniel once again. We looked at the first seven verses of Daniel 1 last week. I want to continue in verses 8 through 21. I'm going to read the whole chapter. If you're unfamiliar with the uh, Bible books, you'll find it on page 1,370. 1,370. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. When you read church history, and I strongly recommend that you do, the people that you find on the pages of your book were usually people with very strong, biblically informed convictions. Polycarp, Athanasius, Wycliffe, Luther, Calvin, Tyndale, Knox, Bunyan, Whitfield, Carey, Livingstone, Judson, and so on, were all people who feared God more than they feared men. When they believed that their theology and conduct were in harmony with scriptures, they refused to compromise regardless of the pressures that were put upon them. Threats, intimidations, bullying, teams of horses couldn't move them. Let me ask you, do you consider yourself a man, a woman, or a young person of deep and strong convictions? Then let me ask you this, just how strong are they? What would it take for you to compromise them? For example, maybe you're strongly convicted that honesty is a very important biblical principle. The Word of God calls you to be upright. But then you find yourself in a situation in which you can save a considerable amount of money by paying for the job in cash. If you get a receipt, it's this much. If you pay in cash, it's only this much. And perhaps you start rationalizing. The government wastes my money anyway. They use it for foolish and even ungodly things. Better in my pocket than theirs. I could put it to good use for Christian schools and missions. And you begin to compromise. Or maybe you're strongly convicted that the Bible is divinely inspired. You believe the creation account in Genesis. You believe the worldwide flood. You believe the miracles recorded in Scripture. You believe the deity of Christ and the bodily resurrection from the dead. You believe that he's coming again. But then you find yourself working in an atmosphere where no one else believes these things. And worse yet, some of them even scorn them and regard Christians as unscientific simpletons or intolerant bigots. What does it take for you to begin compromising? You want to fit in. You want to be accepted. And so you just keep your views to yourself. Then again, maybe you're strongly convicted that as a believer, you must never deny Jesus. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. But then, like Peter, who found himself in the courtyard of the high priest, being questioned about his loyalties and facing possible consequences, even though the consequences may be far less in your case, like Peter, 
whether by your silence or by your actions, you begin to compromise and you fail to openly identify with your master. Well, in our scripture reading for this morning, we see some young men who refused to compromise. You cannot read this first chapter and miss the fact that Daniel and his friends were men of strong convictions. They remained faithful even in a foreign land. I want to divide our text for this morning, Daniel 1, verses 8 through 21, into two parts. First, their uncompromising spirit, and second, their undisputed superiority. Their uncompromising spirit. Although Daniel and his friends were away from their homes, separated from the temple, and indoctrinated into the Babylonian system, they were not entirely defeated. They may have been conquered, but they were not inwardly conquered. Nebuchadnezzar could change their names, but he could not change their hearts nor their loyalties. Parents, consider this for a moment. If tomorrow morning your teenagers were dragged out of your house, brought to a foreign land, enrolled in the University of Babylon, offered the pleasures of life, and immersed in paganism, unlimited and unsupervised access to the internet, would they be equipped to survive? Would your teenagers have the biblical knowledge and godly fortitude to endure the temptations and pressures? Are your teens doctrinally, morally, and spiritually prepared to stand for truth in a fallen, man-centered, gospel-resisting, idol-worshipping world? Although our text doesn't actually tell us, I suspect that at a time of much ungodliness and apostasy in Judah, Daniel and his friends had faithful parents. Why do I say that? Well, I pointed out last week that the Jewish names of these four men each contained a name of God, and each of them had a spiritual meaning. Daniel means, God is my judge. Mishael means, who is like God? Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. And Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. They were names that glorified God. I suspect that the names of these men reflected the heart and the priorities of their parents. In all likelihood, they grew up in homes in which dad and mom taught and lived the word of God and cherished the message of the gospel as displayed in the temple service. Every so often, every so often, you may find a teenager from an ungodly home. That is possible. God is able to snatch a person out of the fire, change his or her heart by the Holy Spirit, and make them strong and faithful. Young Josiah had a very ungodly father and grandfather, Ammon and Manasseh. Yet what does Scripture say of Josiah? He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David. Yes, that can happen, praise God, by the grace, power, and spirit of the Lord, but it's extremely rare. It's extremely rare. 
Teenagers who have grown up in a nominally Christian compromising home where parents lack commitment to the Scriptures, worship when it's convenient, and live largely for the here and now, a home where parents show very little enthusiasm for the gospel of Christ, a home where there is very little with respect to family worship and little commitment to the church's Bible studies or catechism program, in all likelihood, in all likelihood, teenagers who grow up in such a home will not stand strong and true in the midst of life's pressures. Why were these four willing to hold tenaciously to their convictions? I suspect they had parents who built the Word of God into their lives. They obviously knew the law. They understood that you shall have no other gods before me. They learned that, that lesson early in life. Generally speaking, Young people drift away from the Lord when their parents are not fully committed to pure doctrine and godly living. How many parents today allow corruption to pour into their homes through God-dishonoring movies and so on? Is it any wonder that their teens compromise under the soul-destroying pressures of Babylon? Children and young people, if you have parents who insist that you memorize Scripture, why do they drill it into you? Why do they drill it into you? Sometimes you say, why do I have to learn all this? Why do I have to memorize this? It's so hard. There are good reasons for the memorization of Scripture. One of them is this. Someday, you may find yourself in a modern Babylon, away from your parents, away from your siblings, away from the church, away from the regular and faithful teaching of the Word of God. And the truths contained within those portions of Scripture which you have memorized may be your deliverance. Don't underestimate the importance of being firmly rooted in the law and the gospel from your youth. Hear the word, receive it, believe it, retain it, and act upon it. Congregation, one of the most important verses of this chapter is verse 8. Please have a look there. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart, or Daniel resolved, or Daniel determined, I will obey God whatever it costs. Now, remember... Daniel was only a young man at this time. It's been estimated that he was probably between 14 and 17 years old, a teenager. He and his friends were under the authority of the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth. It appeared as though Israel's God had been powerless before the gods of the Babylonians. So why not just give in? Do what you're told to do. As a young man, he was under intense pressure. He was offered a good life. He was granted the best of possible educations, all possible educations. He was offered the same kind of food that was served to Nebuchadnezzar himself. 
Think about it, young people, teenagers. Are you listening? How would you stand under such pressure? A good career, a secure future, an exciting life in the great world capital, mingling with those in very high positions. He was offered everything a young man could possibly want. And to make matters even more difficult, no doubt that there were other Jewish young men in the same situation who simply conformed to the pressures. They ate the food, drank the wine, and enjoyed every bit of it. If Nebuchadnezzar offered them delicious food, they would gladly eat it. When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. These four young men were probably oddballs in the group. Perhaps they were even laughed at by the other Jewish young men for their sensitivities. Hey, come on, why don't you just loosen up a little? Relax. It's not easy to stand firm when those around you are compromising. Sometimes there are young people in high school who face very tempting situations. Their fellow students are embracing the values, the entertainment, the lifestyle, the music, the parties, the fashions, and the patterns of the world, and it's tempting to just go along with the crowd. Do as they do, especially when they push you. Oh, come on, you think you're better than the rest of us? Don't be such a stickler. Young people, what do you do when your fellow students are compromising? Are you going to come home from school and say, well, Mom, everyone else is doing it. All the other Christian kids are going there. I don't want to be an oddball. So-and-so, he's going and he's, he's an elder son. Why do we have to be different? Why can't we have any fun? Young people, you don't have to be different just for the sake of being different. Christians don't really have to try to be different. All you have to do is be faithful to the Scriptures, love the Gospel, love Jesus Christ and the message of the cross, and you will be different. Daniel and his friends were not trying to attract special attention or trying to look morally superior to their peers. They just wanted to be obedient to their Lord. That's all. Daniel knew that if he ate the king's delicacies, he would defile himself. The food was not within the guidelines of Jewish dietary laws and was not prepared in accordance with the law of God. Their food laws symbolized what? Separation. They were a special people. Although they were in Babylon, they were not of Babylon. Now, congregation, the easiest thing to do in this situation is to just go along with it. After all, they were not in Jerusalem. Their parents weren't watching them, and neither were their elders. And wasn't this just a minor infraction? Just some food and drink, just a small thing. What's the big deal? Brothers and sisters, what may appear to us to be just a trivial matter was really not so trivial. Listen, 
Daniel's usefulness and greatness throughout the rest of this book was because of his faithfulness in these seemingly trivial matters. Daniel would later on be faithful with much because as a teenager, listen teenagers, as a teenager he was faithful in little things. His refusal to defile himself with the king's delicacies was only preparation for greater and more serious tests to come, which we will see in this book. Young people, I want to challenge you to be faithful now. Not later, not when you're older, not when you're married, now. I want to challenge you to be uncompromising in the seemingly small things of life. If you're obedient now and refuse to compromise biblical directives, the Lord will surely use you for greater tasks in the years to come. Do you want to be fruitful? Then don't defile yourself with the lifestyle of this world. Don't defile yourself with ungodly entertainment. Don't defile yourself with immoral living or by participating in drunken parties. Purpose in your heart that you will strive to be a principled Christian. Determine in your heart that you will turn away from ungodly behavior in whatever form it presents itself. If you are faithful now, the Lord will undoubtedly use you as a fruitful servant for the advancement of his kingdom in years to come. Dear friends, It's one thing to know what Scripture says. It's another thing to apply it to every circumstance of life. Daniel and his friends connected the law to the eating of the king's food. You know, there are some people who hear the preaching of the Word for many years, but still fail to make the connection between what they hear and what they do. They hear the Word preached on Sunday, but they fail to apply it on Monday. These four young men understood that the Bible is not just something to know, but also something to live. They determined in their heart beforehand, beforehand, that they would obey God. Obedience was more important than the pleasures of life. He purposed in his heart. You see those words? He purposed in his heart. How many young men today purpose in their heart. So many young men seem to do what makes them happy, and they don't really care about what God says. How many young men today resolve in their heart that they're not going to defile themselves with the gods of our age, or that they're not going to defile themselves with questionable entertainment? Or that they're not going to defile themselves through the company of compromising friends. Or that they're not going to defile themselves in their dating practices. Most of you have probably heard of Jonathan Edwards. Regarded as one of the most brilliant and influential theologians and philosophers in American history. When he was only 19 years old... He was thinking about what he wanted for his life, and as a result, he wrote 70 resolutions to guide him along the way. Some of those resolutions had to do with time management, 
Bible reading, and growing in self-discipline, self-control. In the preface to his 70 resolutions, he said this, Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat Him by His grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to His will for Christ's sake. And then among his resolutions, we find these. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved, never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved, when I feel pain, to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. Resolved, never to do anything out of revenge. Resolved never to speak evil of any, except I have some particular good call for it. Resolved frequently to renew the dedication of myself to God. Resolved to study the Scripture so steadily, constantly, and frequently, as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. How many 19-year-olds would write such things today and purpose in their heart by God's grace to pursue them throughout the course of their life? That's just a small sampling of what Edwards wrote. So many young men today appear to be frittering their life away with screen time. I often say they're thumbing their life away. They're thumbing their life away. It seems they can hardly survive without the superficial stimulations of their cell phone. So many young men appear to be aimless, lacking strong, righteous convictions, drive, and meaningful goals in life, lacking spiritual strength and God-glorifying determination. Dear friends, The passionate resolve to live by the word that was present in the young Edwards is what we see in Daniel and his friends in Babylon. They made a deliberate and conscious decision to do what God wanted them to do. And we need to do the same today if we want our lives to honor Jesus Christ. So, Being eager to obey God, what did Daniel do? He went calmly and respectfully, not arrogantly, before the chief of the eunuchs and requested that he might be exempt. Notice how verse 9 inserts an interesting statement. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel had established a good reputation with this man under the direction of God. Nevertheless, even though he appreciated Daniel and saw something special in him, he felt he needed to turn down his request. In verse 10, he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. Although God caused him to respect Daniel, he still said no. 
Now, at this point, many of us would have probably said, well, at least I tried. I made a good effort. I did my best to obey God. But I guess I have no choice. I'll just have to do what the king said, even if it means disobeying God. But Daniel didn't say that. He didn't give in. The next verses record his gentle persistence. What did he do? Well, he went to a lesser-ranking steward whom the chief eunuch had assigned to the four men. I don't think he intended to go behind the back of the chief eunuch, but since the lesser-ranking steward was further removed from the king, he probably didn't face the same degree of danger as the chief of the eunuchs. And so go with me to verse 11. Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now again, think about this. Put yourself in their shoes. Four teenage boys who are requesting nothing but vegetables and water. The most amazing options were at their fingertips but they turned it all down. Obviously, these were men of conviction and faith. And in God's providence, the lesser-ranking steward granted their request. Daniel and his friends were confident that the Lord would honor their convictions and bless this decision so that God's name would be honored. And that's exactly what happened. We come secondly from their uncompromising spirit to their undisputed superiority. Their undisputed superiority. Look at verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh or better nourished than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. The four young men did not look pale, sickly, and weak. They looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the king's food. Now, brothers and sisters, let's be clear about something here. There was nothing special about Daniel's diet. I'm sure that vegetarians would say that his health was due to a steady diet of vegetables. No, it was not his diet. Today, God does not forbid the eating of meat. You may feel free to give thanks and enjoy a good steak or a juicy pork chop. Jesus himself ate meat and provided others with meat. In Peter's vision, Acts 10, in which he saw all kinds of animals, the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, this passage is not suggesting that you all become vegetarians, and I'm sure you're glad to hear that. Daniel's health was because of divine intervention. God's in charge here. The sovereign Lord is in control. It was his blessing upon Daniel's obedience and faithfulness. The Lord blessed his food, thereby confirming the righteousness of his servant. Years earlier, the Lord had said to Eli the priest, those who honor me, I will honor, 1 Samuel 2. We see that played out in subsequent verses. Not only were these four men healthier in appearance, but they also excelled in knowledge and understanding. Oh yes, they undoubtedly worked hard, 
and applied themselves diligently. They didn't just sit in their hot tub or play trivial games and expect God to take over. I suspect that there were many times that they studied late into the night, as successful university students usually do. But ultimately, it was God who gave them knowledge and understanding. He enabled them to discern between truth and falsehood, something that our young people today desperately need when they're in university. He enabled them to receive what was helpful and to dump what was harmful, to receive what would be beneficial and to reject what was spiritually or practically damaging. Our university students today should pray diligently for that kind of spiritual discernment. Verses 17 to 21 show us their incomparable wisdom. Please follow along in verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, Daniel's understanding of visions and dreams will become very significant in the very next chapter. You see, it was God who caused them to excel in everything they did. Dear friends, if any of you have prospered spiritually, academically, or vocationally, remember, he's the one who gave you knowledge, skill, and wisdom. He's the one who has prospered your ways. It's not because you're naturally so brilliant, diligent, or skillful. You may be all those things, but where did they come from? Verse 17, God gave them knowledge, skill, wisdom, and understanding. It all comes from Him, and He wants you to give Him all the glory and all the praise for your success. At the end of three years of training, the young men were brought before the king for testing, and they emerged where? Children? At the top of their class. Verse 19 says, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The end of verse 19 says, therefore they served before the king, which means that they were given high administrative positions in the realm, positions of privilege and responsibility. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. Are you willing to honor God by standing for truth and by living your biblical convictions? Are you willing to do so at school, in the workplace, in your business, in the community? Are you willing to do so regardless of what it may cost you? You won't necessarily be exalted in the same way that Daniel and his friends were exalted. In fact, your faithfulness may result in suffering. But he will certainly bless you and fill you with his joy, love, and peace as you live a committed life before him. Those who honor me, I will honor. As Nebuchadnezzar interviewed them, he found these four young men to be ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Their superiority was undisputed. 
They became better teachers and advisors than anyone. Brothers and sisters, when they took their stand three years earlier, it appeared as though they might finish last. But when all was said and done, they graduated with honors, with highest distinction, far and away better than anyone else. God also gave Daniel the gift of prophecy so that through him the light of God's truth would shine even in the darkness of Babylon. The unrivaled wisdom which these young men received was for the purpose of exalting Yahweh even in a foreign land. Their success was a great testimony to the power and grace of God. At a time when the nation of Israel was under God's covenant curse for their disobedience, in the midst of that curse, God was still bringing his blessings. He was going to use Daniel to prophesy of covenant blessings. Yes, in Babylon. By the gift of prophecy, Daniel would testify of a far greater kingdom than that of Nebuchadnezzar. And a far greater king, he would testify of the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel would declare that while nations and empires rise and fall, the city of God will endure forever. The stone in chapter 2, the stone cut without hands, would grow into a mountain that would fill the whole earth. Kingdoms will rise and kingdoms will fall, but the kingdom of Christ will endure forever. And so the incomparable wisdom which these men received was ultimately for the purpose of exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. In the darkness of Babylon, the light would shine brightly. The Lord used Daniel so that you and I today may have a beautiful prophecy of the kingdom of Christ. He was preserved and promoted so that Christ would be lifted up. And now, now the Lord calls you to that same obedience and that same uncompromising faithfulness that Daniel and his friends displayed in Babylon. And as you live with that kind of commitment, the Lord will also allow you and use you to exalt the name of King Jesus and to let the light shine brightly. He will use you as you stand against the darkness of Babylon and proclaim the light of the gospel of Christ. Congregation, may you be faithful so that He will be lifted up. Young people, young people, may you be uncompromising so that you may be used as a Daniel for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ right here in our modern Babylon. And when you fail, when your resolve dwindles and you sinfully compromise your convictions, when you find yourself eating the delicacies of Babylon as it were, when you neglect to live for the glory of God, and when you have defiled yourself again. Repent of your sin and turn to the one man who never 
compromised. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus never wavered? Never yielded to the pressures of the world who always, always put God first, who remained uncompromising all the way to the cross? Aren't you glad that he set his face like flint, Isaiah 50, verse 7? There's only one way for you to be forgiven and transformed. Trust the one who never compromised, whose resolve never dwindled. Put your faith in the righteous, yet crucified Messiah, the only Savior. Turn to Him, for in Him alone will you find full and free forgiveness and eternal life. Rest in the one who is greater than Daniel, the one who is perfectly faithful in every way, the one who stands not ten times higher, but infinitely higher than the rest of the human race. Then, having put your trust in him, go on in his strength by the power of his spirit, resolved in your heart to live a holy life in this unholy Babylon. Let us pray. Lord our God, we have so much to learn in so many areas where we need to grow. We like to think that we are men, women, young people, children of strong, biblically informed convictions, and yet the truth is we so often fail. And so, Lord, as we are here this morning, we praise you, we thank you for the one man who never compromised, who remained unwavering in the midst of life's pressures and temptations. We thank you for our Lord Jesus who remained true and steadfast all the way to the cross. Lord, knowing his faithfulness and knowing his forgiving grace in our lives, may we be more resolved to live in this modern Babylon without compromise. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we plead especially for our young people here. There are so many pressures and temptations upon them. Yes, and sometimes even in Christian schools. Pressures even there from fellow students to compromise. We plead with you that you will give them a deep appreciation for the one who never compromised. A deep love for the Savior, Jesus Christ. So that, Lord, knowing and loving him, they would desire to live their lives in a similar manner. To walk as he walked. To live as he lived. Be with our young people. Be with our teenagers here. Lord, that they would have a deep desire not only to hear your word, but to connect that word to life. Help us as parents to build the Word of God into the lives of our children 
so that should they be taken out of our homes, they will stand for truth in the midst of so much darkness and error. And so, Lord, receive our petitions and look mercifully upon us and upon our children. Because, Lord, we're going to go into a new week and we're going to be tempted again to compromise. We ask, dear God, because men, women, young people, children of deep gospel-rooted convictions, hear us in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the faithful one. Amen.